Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. Remember, you can always find us on Sundays streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. Life is not fair. That's just the truth. Am I right? I mean, and when life is not fair, nothing feels better than complaining. Come on, you know it's true. Like when you can't get a break or when you get dumped or when you end up on the short end of the stick. Somehow it just feels good to complain. Uh, reminds me of the guy who wrote a letter to a big airline after a really, really bad experience on a flight. And uh, the letter reads like this. Um, Dear United Airlines, I'm disgusted as I write this note to you about the miserable experience I'm having sitting in seat 29E on one of your aircraft. As you may know, this seat is situated directly across from the lavatory, so close that I can reach out with my left arm and touch the door. All my senses are being tortured simultaneously. It's difficult to say what the worst part about sitting in 29E really is. Is it the stench of the sanitation fluid that's blown over my body every 60 seconds when the door opens? Is it the whoosh of the constant flushing? Or is it the passenger's hind end that seems to fit into my personal space while they wait their turn for the toilet? I constructed a stink shield by shoving one end of the blanket into the overhead compartment. While effective in blocking at least some of the smell and offering a small bit of privacy, the hind end factor has actually increased. As without my evil glare, passengers feel free to lean up against what they think is a kind of blanketed wall. And the next booty that touches my shoulder will be the last. Worse yet, I paid over $400 for the honor of sitting in this seat. Does your company give refunds? Seat 29E could only be worse if it was located inside the bathroom. We're finally descending, and soon I'll be able to tear down the stink shield, but the scars will remain. I suggest that you initiate immediate removal of seat 29E from all your planes. Signed sincerely, John Ferguson. Just kidding. It wasn't John. Um, there's a lot to complain about in life and some stuff much more serious than sitting in seat 29E. Serious stuff like, um, when your income doesn't meet your budget or family members who are hard to love or illnesses that aren't cured. Needless violence happening in places that should be shelters of safety like schools or churches or workplaces or wars like the Russia-Ukraine war or the Israel-Hamas war that seems to have no answers and no end. And in the middle of all that's going wrong, it can seem that God isn't fair. And so we complain. And see, that's why over the next three weeks, we're going to dig deep into a book of the Bible that's all about a man who complained when it seemed God was being unfair. His name's Habakkuk. Now, Habakkuk is a somewhat unique among the Old Testament prophets. And here's why. Because instead of speaking to people for God, like most of the prophets, Habakkuk actually spoke to God for the people. You could say Habakkuk, he wasn't afraid to give God a piece of his mind. So during this series, we're going to explore Habakkuk's complaint and then also God's response. But I'll tell you, before we get started, let me tell you what you aren't going to get in this series. You aren't going to get simple answers with everything tied up with a perfect kind of bow. That's not how life works. So we're not going to offer cliches. We're not going to pretend things aren't as complicated as often they are. But here's what you are going to get in this series. 
wisdom. Wisdom about how to hold on to your faith when you walk through the most challenging and complicated of seasons. And so this is a series for those of us who aren't satisfied with easy answers. It's a series for all of us who want to ask tough questions. And Habakkuk was just like that. Now, now here's my hope. I hope that during this series that we discover how this Old Testament prophet can teach us to navigate the most challenging and complicated seasons in our lives, times when it seems that God is unfair. So let's jump right in and let's start with Habakkuk the prophet, his first complaint, and it comes right there in chapter one. Here's what he says to God. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. You ever feel like you could have said those words? I mean, maybe not quite as eloquently, but it kind of describes how you sometimes feel. I felt that way at times. Now to understand though, what Habakkuk is saying and what he's complaining about, we need to understand the historical context. Habakkuk's complaining was not just an old man whining and kind of wishing for, you know, the good old days. His prophetic lament is set against this backdrop of real people facing real questions about real human suffering. I mean, specifically, It had just been 12 years before, and there had been this remarkable spiritual revival in their country. People were finding their way back to God. They had literally rediscovered God's word. Individual people, whole families, the entire country had recommitted themselves to being the people of God. It was a time of powerful spiritual renewal. Now, here we are barely a decade later, and once again, they've abandoned their faith. Their trust in God and his truth has totally disappeared. They have no willingness to do life God's way. And it it seemed like everywhere Habakkuk looked, he saw injustice prevailing. In mass, Habakkuk saw people turning their back on God and worshiping idols. It, It was like everything about their society was unraveling. No one seemed to care, including God. Have you ever looked around? Or maybe you're taking in the news and it feels like that. Injustice seems to so often prevail. People seem to be turning their backs on God. Much in our society seems as though it's like it's unraveling. So Habakkuk, here's what he does. He takes his complaint to God and he says to God, hey God, why don't you seem to care? Why why aren't you doing something? Why, Why do you let this continue to go on? And God responds. But God's response isn't what Habakkuk expects. God says, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Well, when Habakkuk levels his complaint to God, God responds by telling him, hey, Habakkuk, I know it's bad, but guess what? It's gonna get worse. (laughs) I mean, this, this is not at all what Habakkuk wanted to hear. 
See, here's what God is saying. God is saying that Israel is going to be overtaken by the evil empire of Babylon, who is renowned both for their military might, but also their cruelty. But God also said he would use Babylon to help Israel find their way back to him. I mean, all of this had to make Habakkuk's head spin. I mean, when it seems like everything's going wrong, rather than God stepping in and setting things right, more bad, more bad stuff's going to happen? These are the kind of moments that rattle our faith. These are the kind of moments that bring up all kinds of questions for God. But Habakkuk, rather than push the I'm out of here button, he continues the conversation with God with another complaint. And he just says to God, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have adorned, ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? I mean, if you're not getting the tone, Habakkuk is completely frustrated and he lets God know. And he questions the justice of God in using evil people to punish those who might be bad, but are comparatively better. But also notice, even as Habakkuk challenges God, he still holds on to the idea that God is holy. Do you hear him say that? Eternal and pure. Habakkuk's faith isn't deconstructed by his questions. In fact, to the contrary, he seems almost comfortable voicing his questions and complaints directly to God. It's like he's having this heated but honest conversation with a trusted friend. And I believe there are some very, very important lessons that you and I can learn from Habakkuk. What Habakkuk is going through is something that all of us will go through at some point in our faith journey. I mean, all of us. Let me, let me explain what I mean by using this diagram. If you're a Christ follower, you will or already have experienced this on your faith journey. Do you remember when you first found your way back to God? Remember? You met Jesus. You made a commitment to following him. That was your moment of trusting God. And it's a time of incredible excitement. I mean, God is so real. God's so close. Everything's brand new. And then from there, you begin to grow in your relationship with God. You join a small group. You make friends in that group. They're peers on this journey. Maybe for the first time, you start engaging in Bible reading and prayer, and you, you feel like you hear God speaking to you. You discover the gifts that you have where you can serve and make a difference in the world. And, and it, overall, it's just this great time of growth in your relationship with God. But then something happens. You experience a loss. Maybe a loss of relationship or a loss financially or vocationally or the loss of a loved one <clears throat> or, or, or maybe it's some other challenging life experience or a tragic event in our country or somewhere in the world. And so far in your faith journey, everything's kind of been up and to the right. But with this loss or crisis or tragedy, you suddenly find yourself at a crisis of belief a crisis of belief. Your faith is shaken. You have questions for God. 
You even complained to God. He doesn't seem fair or just. You know what I'm talking about? I do. We do. As a church, we know. As many of you know, we've been grieving the loss of one of our students, Jana Lamb, a sixth grader. Tragically died in a car accident after leaving our student community at our Plainfield location. ABC News and others reported on it. And there has been a tremendous outpouring of love both to us and from us. And I'm so proud of how our church has responded. But I have to tell you, at the same time, that is so, so sad. And it is so, so hard. And it's left a lot of us having some brutally honest and frank conversations with God. Conversations with lots of questions. Conversations where we aggressively are taking our complaints to God. Like I said, if you've been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, you've probably had your own individual moments that are hard and that leave you with questions for God. And see, that is exactly where Habakkuk finds himself in chapter one. He's at, a, he's at this crisis of belief. He's grappling with this gap between who he believes God is and what he feels like is so unfair. And let me just say this. I love, I love, love, love that Habakkuk's story and his complaints are in the Bible. I mean, because if you're making this stuff up about faith, you wouldn't include this kind of thing. You wouldn't include this story. And I think it's just, it's kind of amazing that God gave us this book because this is what it's like to be human. A crisis of belief is part of the journey. Now, here's the good news. The good news. There's some real wisdom to be gleaned from chapter one of Habakkuk's story. And here's the first of two pieces of wisdom. Wisdom lesson number one. Be honest with God. It's okay to be like Habakkuk and complain to God. It's okay to wrestle with doubt in the middle of your faith journey. In fact, there's a biblical practice that we really need to restore, and it's called lament. In fact, lament is something we see over and over in the Bible. The people we read about in the Bible didn't have easy answers. They struggled, and God was okay with them pouring out their lament to him. I kind of understand this as a parent and as a husband. I'd rather my kids tell me the truth than tell me I'm being a great dad if they don't feel that way. And I'd rather Sue tell me the truth than tell me I'm being a great husband if she doesn't feel that way. Now, now don't get me wrong. I want them to tell me I'm being a great dad and a great husband, but I don't want them to tell me that if that's not how they're feeling. I want them to be honest with me. And see, God wants the same thing from us. He wants us to be honest. And lament in the Bible is this response to the reality of suffering. In lament, we actually engage God in the middle of the pain and the trouble we're experiencing, and we kind of pour out our complaints. Lament is being honest with God and with each other. If something feels horrible or wrong, there's no use in sugarcoating it. To pretend that suffering and evil doesn't exist, I mean, it's just ridiculous. And think about this. If, if you're at a funeral, and someone in the family is acting like, oh, happy and nobody died. As a friend, you'd be concerned over their mental health, right, of that person, correct? So when you find yourself in these difficult seasons, it's okay to be like Habakkuk and complain to God. It's okay to lament. It's okay to be honest with God. And that's the first wisdom lesson. There's a second wisdom lesson that we need to learn from Habakkuk. Wisdom lesson number two, hold on to God. Stay close to God. Don't distance yourself from him or turn away from him. 
In fact, one of the things I learned in studying the book of Habakkuk is that the name Habakkuk, it actually means embrace. Now, now think of this embrace as not a loving hug, but more like a wrestling match. Like you're grabbing a hold of God when life feels unfair and you're wrestling with him. I was reading this week an interview with a Catholic priest who was known for his spiritual maturity. And he was asked, do you still struggle with the devil? No, not really, the priest replied. I used to struggle with him when I was young, but now I've grown old and tired and the devil has grown old and tired with me. We leave each other alone. So it's easier for you now? He asked the priest. Oh no, said the priest. It's worse, far worse. Now I wrestle with God. You wrestle with God and hope to win? Said the surprised interviewer. No, the priest said. I wrestle with God and I hope to lose. Me? I still find myself fighting the devil. But I also wrestle with God, particularly when life seems unfair. For me, for some time, I've known this second wisdom lesson, to hold on to God. One of the places I learned it was in a book, Disappointment with God by Philip Yancey. In the book, he shares about a conversation he had with a friend named Douglas. Douglas was someone who'd gone through a series of trials, things that seemed unfair. Douglas had left a career where he was making a lot of money to go into urban ministry. Well, right after he made that career change, he found out that his wife had breast cancer. Then not long after that, a drunk driver hit their family in a car. And Douglas was left with a debilitating brain injury with side effects that left him unable to work and support his wife and daughter. Well, Philip Yancey, the author, asks him, aren't you angry with God over this? And Douglas gave this profound answer. And he said, I try not to confuse life with God. He went on to explain. He said, I feel free to curse the unfairness of life and to vent all my grief and anger. But I believe God feels the same way about that accident, grieved and angry. I don't blame him for what happened. I've learned to see beyond the physical reality of this world to the spiritual reality. We tend to think, this is Douglas still talking, life should be fair because God is fair, but God is not life. And if I confuse God with the physical reality of life by expecting constant good health, for example, then I'm setting myself up for a crashing disappointment. We can learn to trust God despite all the unfairness of life. Douglas then challenged Yancey to go home and read again the story of Jesus, asking him, was life fair to Jesus? You see, Jesus knows what it's like to feel that God is being unfair. I mean, think about that moment when Jesus was hanging on the cross. Think of his lonely, twisted, tortured body. There are nails through his hands and feet. His back has been ripped to shreds by whips. His forehead is bleeding from the crown of thorns. His mouth is dry with an unquenchable thirst. And as he suffers, he cries out a lament. He says, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christian thought leader John Stott writes this, our sufferings become more manageable in light of his. There is still a question mark against human suffering, but over it, we boldly stamp another mark, the cross. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. 
And what does he do in the middle of it? He does what Habakkuk did. Jesus is doing what he wants you and I to do. Be honest with God and hold on to God and never, never, never let go. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Our mission is to help you find your way back to God. And by listening today, you've already taken your first step. And we'd love to help you take a next step in your relationship with God, the church, and the world. It's how we're all embracing the flourishing life that Jesus talks about, a life we call U+. Visit communitychristian.org to take a next step, learn more, give generously, and plan your visit. We hope to see you on a Sunday soon.